Welcome to episode number 54 of Off the Shelf. So here I am in solo fashion. I sit alone inside my passion. My name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this month's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 140 countries, and we are glad you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. This podcast, we are concluding our interview with Dr. Gabriel Pollan. So what were the things that really created problems for you? So like I said, the first thing for me that created problems was the issue of mixed race marriages. One of the things I did when I had that problem was not to contact anyone who had anything to say negative about the message, but to anyone who had something positive to say. So in my head, I was thinking, if the message is a true thing, why don't we have any message folk standing up there and defending the message for what it is. So what I did is that I began an internet search and trying to understand if there had some message people from the US, for example, who were defending the message and to what extent Voice of God recordings had gone in terms of defending the message. And obviously Voice of God had done nothing of note, had done nothing. I think I could call a substantive as something that was providing evidence to the effect that the message was the truth. They, they did throw the Bible under the bus right. uh, using a bunch of red herrings to take attention away from William Branham, but that's about all they've done. That's right. That's right. So so one of the other pl places, I think one of the page, Facebook page or website that I visited um, was called Contending for the Message. So I contacted the uh, administrator of this website, Contending for the Message. I said, look, I've got some questions. I'd be, I'd appreciate you take time and try and answer these questions. So that's what happened. So, so some 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 gentleman by the name of Jason um, <laughs> replied, and we got into a discussion and asked him questions about what the message meant and why William Brennan would preach against mixed race marriages. So he tried to give me reasons, and one of the things he said was he starts from a presupposition that the prophet is always correct, and what he has to do is work around why himself is wrong and reconcile it with the truth that's found in the words of the prophet. I said, well, yeah, that is good and everything, but can you explain to me why the prophet would say this is the truth? Why would he preach against mixed-race marriages? And can you tell me what aspects of the prophet come from God? Because this clearly isn't from God. What aspect of the prophet's preaching should we take as coming from God? 
and what aspects should we discard as human error? Because I came from a message church that believed that, a message church in Zambia that believed that the prophet was human and he made mistakes. Mm-hmm. But when he said, thus saith the Lord, it was clear from the Lord and that wasn't a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of church I came from. So from the perspective that the prophet could have made a mistake, I wanted to understand what then would we use as a criteria to determine that something that the prophet was saying was not what something the prophet was saying was not a mistake yeah got unsatisfactory answers and it was during the time that i really began a very serious search about the message and started looking at other questions pertaining to the failed prophecies and in my mind i started to think would you trust a doctor without credentials if somebody comes and tells you i'm a doctor but has no medical training whatsoever, would you trust them as doctors? No, you wouldn't. So why would you trust someone as a prophet who has no prophecies? Shouldn't a prophet be one with prophecies? So if this prophet doesn't have prophecies, why are we calling him a prophet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least from a very philosophical point of view, I tried to understand it that way. But when it came down to scripture to try and understand the context of, of, of the whole book of Malachi being written to the Jews and why there were no half scriptures that was supposed to be interpreted as an end-time prophet, as another Elijah, by the name of William Branham coming. I just made it. It just made perfect sense that why this guy should have been making mistakes. And you know, eventually, I, I reached a point where I said, "Look, this is not the truth." So I wrote to the to the contending for the message guy, and I told him point blank, "Say the message is nothing more than a hodgepodge of of heresies, and you better make things right by." examining the truth for yourself <laughs> so how was that received he, he never replied <laughs> yeah they don't they well, don't like engaging replied. with me either <laughs> if he did reply i think what he told me is like oh i tell you there's a truth in this message you try and connect these scriptures together you see it makes perfect sense and that was the last time i heard from him yeah so eventually i left the message but then instead so we'd stayed away from, from, from church for, for a couple of months because we're trying to figure out the best way possible to, to let these guys know that we'd eventually made up our minds that we're leaving. Instead of calling them or, or something like that, I thought I should keep it on record. So I sent an email to the pastor to tell him why I'd left um, and why, why I thought that he had been irresponsible because as a pastor, he hadn't done his homework and background search to be feeding his flock with the correct the substance and correct material. So, so he replied, he replied immediately and he asked for a meeting. So I think within a day or two, he came over home and we're discussing. And I must say, Rod, by the time this man was coming, initially I always looked at him as a person of wisdom. But by the time he was leaving, he was leaving as a very ignorant person because he had provided some scriptural support, for example, on mixed race marriages. And I think he either used Ezra 3 or Ezra, Ezra 3, I think, it's 9 or something like that. I'm not, I'm not, I can't remember, but if I check my email, I'd recollect. Yeah. So he used some really w- weird scriptures to justify the doctrine. <laughs> well, and that's what happens with cognitive dissonance, right? right? You have, you can't, you're, you, you've got some, some proof that your worldview is wrong. And so you have to find reasons to ignore these things that are saying that your worldview is wrong, I, you know, your basic worldview being that William Brown is a prophet, in going through that rationalization and reducing the dissonance in your mind, you will grab onto 
rationale and reasonings and support for your belief set that really don't make a lot of sense. That's right. That's right. That, that's pretty much what happened. But, but you know, I, I mean, I must mention that the time that the pastor said he was going to come, my wife was still unclear about whether or not we had made the correct decision regarding our, uh, you know, decision to leave the message. Yeah. So she was waiting for him to come to try and convince me that we had made a mistake. But when the pastor came and I asked him some questions and he had no answers, he left. He often came and would often pray before he, before we start or you pray after we finish. This time around, he just simply walked away. <laughs> and by the time <laughs> he, he was, was done leaving, with you, he was done with you. Was, <laughs> by the time he was leaving, he was done with me, and he made it very clear because I told him, "Look, I've got more questions," and he told me point blank and said, "I've got no time to answer them." I said, "Look, I'm going to ask some more questions, and you know, I'd appreciate you giving me time." It's like, well, if you had questions before leaving, perhaps I could have considered, but now that you've already made up your mind. And that you've left, I don't think I have time to attend to you. Wow. And so what was your wife's reaction to this? So my, my wife basically was like, I didn't realize that this man had no scriptural support for everything else that he had to say. Yeah. And one of the and one of his <laughs> one of his defense lines was to suggest that I had taken time to prepare and I had pretty much ambushed him. So he didn't have time to prepare. <laughs> so oh. my, wife, my wife was telling him like you know what Gabriel has spent two months reading about these things and we've re reached this conclusion from an informed perspective and he's like well, yeah see you've spent two months reading these things and I haven't I said well but you've been preaching these things pretty much your whole life yeah 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 and, and this stuff is we haven't done anything in a secret these guys are aware that our website is there that the podcasts are there well the podcasts are relatively recent but the website's been there since 2012. Everybody knows about it. I mean, we get, you know, we get 10,000 people a month under our website. So, and from all over the world, everybody knows it's there. That's right. Everybody, the pastor himself indicated that he was aware of your website. He was also trying to show me that he knew of you and why you had left the message. So, so you were not, a, excuse me, you were not a stranger to him. And neither was the material on your website strange to him. So he pretended to to understand what was there. But by the time he left, I, I knew that he hadn't done his homework. One of the other things that he did anyway was I asked him to say, why do you suggest these things when they're not there in Scripture? Why do you teach things in church that are not in the Bible? And he told me point blank, he said, do not concern yourself with things that you're not involved in anymore. That would be responsible. That's what you told me. So you just mind your own business. Wow. That's bizarre. So he, That's completely bizarre. He told, he told me, to, he told me to, to mind my own business because I was in the message anymore, so I shouldn't ask questions about the message. <laughs> Once you decide to leave, um, they become very dismissive. They don't have time for you, and you're just um, like an infidel. Notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the Bible tells, leave the 99 and go after the one that's lost. If, if the sheep's lost, if you actually believe that, you should spend some time going after them. That is precisely what I was telling my wife after he left, because he told me that he didn't have time to attend to me. He had time to attend to people under his, his pastorship uh, or his pastoral service, if you like. Yeah. And I said, this goes against scriptural teaching because I am the lost one. Come after me. Leave those that are already in place by themselves. 
Yeah, and in fact, the, the from you know from for me personally, and I've told this story before. It's on another podcast of how the people who are the uh, authors of the Searching for Vindication website went after my son and myself because they were worried about us spiritually. And I haven't seen that kind of love anywhere in the message. And these were people that I didn't know very well. I knew who they were, but they didn't know us really well. We'd never actually met before. That's right. But they were prepared to spend 400 hours of their time because they worry about me spiritually. I, I, I just don't see that. I just don't see that anywhere, uh, that kind of love expressed uh, inside the message. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of agree with you more on that point as well, because one of the other things that you observe from people who've left the message is that you immediately cut off. So, and that's one of the things I suppose that keeps the message community together is the fear of the social sanctions that follow. So the moment you leave the message, they cut you off and that's it. So we came to Huddersfield to be with these people. We told them we didn't believe in the message anymore and suddenly no one is interested in calling us. No one is interested in sending us any message. And here we are by ourselves. <laughs> it's bizarre. But that is pretty typical of what happens when you come out the, of the message. They're not really interested in you anymore. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, so a couple of things happen in this church that were pretty weird. One time this fellow came, he was singing a song entitled, Who is this man? I'd never heard that song before, but I understand it originates from Zimbabwe. Um, so he sang this song about who is this man? He came from Kentucky. So it's pretty much a song about worshiping William Brenham. And that's how I understood it at the time. Yeah. I I approached the pastor, say, I think there's something wrong with this song. Why should we be praising William Brenham in church? The pastor immediately dismissed me and told me off that, you know, there was nothing wrong with the song. But later on, you know, there's a group of some British folk who had just become Christians. And on that day, they attended church and they never came back. So I asked the pastor why they didn't come to church. And he told me, well, it's the same song, actually, that kept them away. So I got interested. I got in touch with one of them and he told me, you need to leave that place. These guys are worshiping William Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the same thing. We would have people come by every once in a while would sing a song and I go, like, they're just way too out there. And, and I had a, and, and I would say actually most of the people in our church would have had a difficulty with a song like that. It happened every once in a while, but I mean, I was the song leader in the church, so I made sure that people generally didn't sing songs like that because I didn't like them. Is there anything in retrospect that you would have done differently? To be honest, I appreciate everything else I've, I've been exposed to. And I think it gives me a very strong sense of comfort and great appreciation for, for, for the gospel today. If I had to do, if you know, if it was within my power, if I'd done something differently, I'd have probably spent less time listening to those tapes. I wouldn't have wasted my time in the in the message sermons, being indoctrinated, being told fabricated stories about William Brenham. And I wish I'd spent more time reading the Bible, to be honest. Yeah. Those are some of the things I think I could have done differently. And I think I could have also about better bonds outside of the message because you know because of the whole message superiority complex you tend to not have friends outside of the message very close friends outside of the message so it, i think in a sense the message robbed me of the opportunity to have created better friendships stronger bonds outside of the message context to be yeah. honest so so you and your wife now 
uh, both have your PhDs. Instead of saying Mr. and Mrs., you'd say doctor and doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I expect there are those in the message that will say that you're leaving the message is simply because as education is of the devil. Uh, what would you respond to something like that? Um, I mean, it's interesting, Ron. I mean, it's not something that's unsurprising. I would definitely expect message folk to say something like that. And I've seen and read it a couple, couple of times. Um, the first thing I'd ask them is to show me which scripture they would use as evidence of that claim. Well, in, in, you know, which scripture would they use to support the argument that education is of the devil? And the other thing I'd like to say, and I think this is basically to delve into the whole philosophical argument of what education is, is to suggest that education is not something that's homogenous. Education is not about sitting in class. Education is not about getting a degree or get, you know, or, or something similar, any formal institutional type of learning. Education is something that happens to develop the human brain, mm -hmm. um, to, to grow our knowledge, to grow our wisdom, and so forth. So that's what education is. So, and historically, what I observe, actually, is that Christianity and education have been complementary. Yeah, exactly. Rather than, rather than mutually exclusive. Um, if you look at our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ spent time teaching. How do you teach if, if that's not education in itself? Yeah. He spent time in the, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ spent time in the synagogues. He spent time with the crowds, teaching them about the things of the kingdom. So uh, if someone is teaching, then I'll expect that the recipients of that teaching are getting an education. Um, you know, if you look at how Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, spent his time with the apostles um, who were then disciples. He spent time with them because he was teaching them things of the, things of the, um, of the kingdom. So yeah. the, the, the disciples had the best teacher ever to have walked this planet. They got the best education. Exactly. From the, from the star of the story, and that was our Lord Jesus Christ. What beats that road? Nothing beats that. Yeah. Well, and of course, William Branham said, the Bible says cast down reasonings. Of course, the Bible doesn't say that. Well. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure where he got that from. <laughs> the Bible is very clear. God comes and says, come, let us reason together. Absolutely. So when God says he wants to reason with us, what that means is that he's essentially appealing to our senses. He wants us to see. He wants us to feel. He wants us to touch. He wants us to smell wants us to use our intellect. These are gifts that God has given us. God made human beings the most intelligent for a reason. And part of that reason is to receive his word and to process it. So I, I, I really don't understand why people would think that Christianity has nothing to do with reason and understanding. It has everything to do with reason and understanding. The idea of spreading the gospel, the, when, when our Lord Jesus Christ instru instructed disciples to go and preach, but, what did that entail? It entailed somebody sharing uh, the experiences of the gospel, and it also entailed an audience receiving the gospel and processing it. it didn't preach to animals. Animals don't have any uh, intellectual capacity to process what they receive, but human beings. And that is precisely what I'll say about education. I mean, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the Apostle Paul, Paul uh, the Apostle Paul was one of the most learned people of the time. You know, you know, he used Paul's education to spread the gospel. Absolutely. I mean, you when you look and see what he did in Athens, 
He went around for three weeks or so and listened to what people were saying in the marketplace. And then he started talking. And next thing you know, they grabbed him and took him up under the Areopagus. And he was uh, basically engaging in conversation with the most learned people in the entire uh, nation of Greece, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. These guys were as good as it gets educationally. And Paul wasn't afraid of it. Absolutely. And, and the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that he engaged in debates with the Jews. Um, what is a debate? A debate is an exchange of ideas, providing evidence for argument, providing substance to whatever it is that you want to present. And that's, that cannot come from um, a person who has no intellectual capacity to do so. Yeah. The Apostle spent time explaining the gospel. So why would he need to explain the gospel if reason was not something that was required of the recipients of the gospel message. <laughs> Gabriel, would you have any advice that you would give to people that are still in the message but have questions? Uh, absolutely, Rod. Absolutely, Rod. Um, I, I think that one of the first things that comes into mind for me is to understand how, for example, my my, my journey outside, you know, my journey out of the message. My journey after the message started with asking questions and being unhappy with the kind of responses I got. So one of the things I'd like to say to, to people out there listening to this podcast is that you have to keep asking questions. You have to keep seeking answers. But you've got to also ask for scriptural support that comes from proper exegesis. So basically, it means scripture has to interpret itself. Scripture must interpret itself. Yeah, and as opposed to eisegesis, exegesis is taking the meaning from the text. Eisegesis is taking your presuppositions, your own understanding, and injecting that into the scripture. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So people have to to ask questions and seek answers, and the Bible must be the, the, the authority. And, you know, just to go back to the Bible, one thing I'd like to say is that people must examine how Jesus treated those who yes. asked questions. Yes. He didn't send them away. He did not um, cast them aside. Instead, he provided answers. And, for example, if you look at questions about the resurrection, the resurrection is pretty much the cornerstone of Christianity. Absolutely. In the first, in first Corinthians chapter 15, from 1 to 14, the, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. Mm-hmm. Now, let's understand how the resurrection was proved to people. The resurrection wasn't proved by way of belief only. No. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 3 makes it very clear. Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, spent 40 days amongst people, providing many infallible proofs. Yes. How awesome is that road? How awesome is that? Yeah, yeah. Our Lord providing proof of his resurrection. He didn't go to people and say, well, don't ask me questions. I am Jesus. Only believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't a matter of only believe, but a matter of providing proof. So you provide proof because you understand that people have the intellectual capacity to process the evidence that you present before them. Um, so I'll just ask people to go back to the Bible and understand how Jesus treated those who had questions, how Jesus treated those who had doubt. Um, and how the Bible itself uh, explains how questions were answered. So questions were answered by way of proof. So if you have a question regarding the message, ask for proof. 
proof is something that the Bible itself promotes. It's something Absolutely. that the Bible encourages. The resurrection is something that was historically proved. So that's that's pretty much what I'd like to say to, to people out there, just to encourage them to keep asking questions until they reach a point where they're satisfied that the proof that's been given to them is, is sufficient yeah. to make them make an informed decision. Finally, Gabriel, I would like to ask you, from your perspective now, what you see, what does it mean for you to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, thanks a lot, Rod, for this question. I think this is a fantastic question. And one of one thing that we must always reflect upon is what the underlying thrust and theme that the message of our Lord Jesus Christ preached, which is love. Love first. Yes, yes. Not just Christians, but everyone. Yes. Apostle Paul made it very clear that if you have knowledge, and you have ability and you've got power to move mountains, but you have love, you have nothing. Um, for me, to be a true follower of Jesus Christ is to reflect the love that our Lord Jesus Christ himself exercised and spread around the world. And how this also comes, how this unfolds in, in practice for me is, for example, is disdain for, for legalism. Uh-huh. For me... Legalism breeds separation, and separation itself stems from being judgmental and having a superiority complex to think that you're better than everybody else. When you do that, you separate yourself from them. You fail to appreciate uh, your, your fellow humans, and it's difficult to love a person that you think you're above, basically. And, and Jesus said, be really careful the way you judge, because the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. That's right. That's right, Rod. Um, and, you know, being a true follower of Jesus Christ for me means the Bible first. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's it. Uh, I'm not taking anything else apart from what the Bible says. And the Bible itself must be properly understood. Um, I, you know, the Bible is, a, you know, it's a message. It's a letter to me. I, if I receive a letter from, from you, Rod, I don't start reading the letter from, 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 from the end. I read it from the beginning right up to the end so I can understand what you mean when you, when you say something at the end. So the Bible must be read in context, the Bible must be read properly, and must be appreciated for what it is. And that's all what it is, is the fact that the Bible is all we need, it's sufficient for us. So has the has your view of the Bible changed since you took your message glasses off? Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the, the problem with the message glasses is that they make you see things very differently. So you read the line, if you, if, and because of between the lines, we actually read things that are not in the Bible. But now that I've taken the message glasses off, yeah. the Bible is much, much clearer. It's such a happy book for me. Um, you know, it, it doesn't evoke feelings of doomsday type typologies and so forth. For me, the Bible is love. Love that Jesus Christ came, he died for us. And we are saved by grace through faith, not of works that ever should both. Amen. And I remember the pastors, you know, would always say, if there's anyone going to heaven, it's me. <laughs> 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 Make sure that you know that you're the only one going to heaven. So it will be always incumbent upon people that it's their job to make sure that they go to heaven. But the Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace and yes. lots of works. Yes, yes. You cannot yes. boast. So if somebody is boasting that they're going to go to heaven, then you know that they're removing themselves from grace. No, that's exactly so, uh, right. You know, finally, I just want to be of service to the world. I just want to be you know, a better human being, a better Christian, You know, to reflect this love in practice as well as opposed to the theoretical aspects of legalism. That's all I can say, Robert. That's where the rubber meets the road. Well, Gabriel, I want to thank you very much for being on 
the podcast with us and for taking this time. I know it's very late over in the UK where you are right now, but uh, thank you very much. And thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you very much, Rhodes. And thank you very much for taking your time to, to listen to this. And I wish you all the very best. May God bless you all. Thank you very much. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great day and thanks for listening. This is just one love song. Baby